0: This is the Education Gadfly Show. I'm kind
1: of like Amber's Mike Pence.
0: Shh. We're moving on. <laughs> moving on. Should I talk about the study? What
1: does Gadfly say? Hello, this is your host, Mike Petrilli of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, here at the Education Gadfly Show and online at edexcellence.net. And now, please join me in welcoming my co-hosts, the A-Rod and J-Lo of education reform, Alyssa Schwank, and Sandy Jacobs. Hey, Mike. Hello. And now it doesn't really work from a gender perspective, no. but I you know, I think gender's not a thing anymore as far as I can tell, right?
2: I mean, I think the more critical level, at least for me, is I can't sing or play baseball. Right. So it's just wrong on a lot of But
1: this people. is just an excuse for us to talk about A-Rod and J-Lo, who, uh, yeah, big celebrities with cool nicknames mm-hmm. uh, who are now dating, it sounds like.
2: They could be. They could not be. Who knows? What, you told well, me they were dating. What are you t- talking about? It's one of those, like, oh, it's in it's the gossip rumor. blogs. It's yes. okay. It's like, are okay. Jennifer Garner and Ben Affleck getting a divorce? No one really knows. Uh,
1: somebody knows. Uh, they, they would know. But, but we don't know. We don't know. I see. Well, let me welcome Sandy Jacobs, a principal, not as in who runs a school, but as in like as like kind of like a partner. But you guys yeah. It's
3: a confusing title. Principal,
1: (laughs) it really is (laughs) at Education Council. Principal with a P A L. I mean, it sounds like a school principal. You're also not like a principal, like I stand on my principal.
3: No, in 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 the education world, it is a confusion. You need a better title. All right, but you're you're at
1: Education Council, former senior vice president for state and district policy at the National Council on Teacher Quality. And, shall I say, a one-time winner of the Pi Network MVP Award.
3: Oh, and who else is a one-time winner? Oh, oh, well, (laughs) I didn't didn't mean
1: for you to set that up. That's not why I mentioned that. Oh, absolutely (laughs) not. Anyway, it's great to be among greatness uh, here, Sandy. <laughs> yes, no, I'm so, honored to be in your presence. Thank you. Good, good, good. Look, Sandy knows more about teacher evaluations, I think, than any living person. Wow. Uh, I, I mean, got to just as I was doing my tour of the country defending the Common Core, uh, you were doing your tour of the country defending teacher evaluations. This is true. Hey, by the way, I would have had a lot less defending to do
3: were it not for those stupid teacher evaluations. Well, I feel the same way about Common Core. The timing, not ideal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And whose fault was that? Not, not The teacher ideal. evaluation people. Oh, I don't know. Uh-huh. There's a lot of people to blame for that.
1: Uh-huh. I, yeah. Well, but we're not talking about teacher evaluation. No, no. That would be much too interesting. Instead, today, we're going to talk about teacher pensions <laughs> on Ed Reform Update. Okay, I know that was probably my worst lead-in ever. But I, I come right <laughs> yes, out and I basically you. admit, <laughs> so I much. hate the teacher pension issue. Not because oh. it's not important. It is important. It is so important. kind of wonky, but that's okay. We're okay with wonky here. You know what I don't like about us, Andy? It's like, if we quote, fix this, as in, you know, at least we're no longer in a gazillion dollars of debt on teacher pensions, that, then that, that, that that's it. We we've no longer are going to go bankrupt but it's not like where nothing else could happen. It's not like we've closed achievement gaps or like suddenly every child is going to, you know, have upward mobility. I mean, it's just one of those things. It's like, there's only downsides to the teacher pension issue, it seems to me.
3: Well, yes. The the thing is we are, we have a bleeding, gaping wound, right? Yes. And and we either can stop the bleeding uh-huh. and start healing <laughs> or we can let it just destroy us. And, and on the, um, on the, just, your number side, if we don't stop hemorrhaging money into mm-hmm. these systems, we're just going to close out available funding for everything else we want to do for kids. Right,
1: so we're all going to die if we don't fix it. So I get well, it. No,
3: that's well. not exactly what I said. All right, we so, just not not
2: have money to close those achievement gaps right, right, or right. No, it create it's up a, It's a serious problem. All or, right, so, or
3: pay teachers what we want to pay them.
1: Yes. So both uh, Fordham and you uh, recently came out with reports on teacher pensions. Uh, tell us, yours uh, has uses fog imagery, lifting the pension fog. Fancy, right? I like that. Uh, what <laughs> Tell us about the fog and how do we lift it?
3: Yeah, so the reason we called it lifting the pension fog, this is the first time. Um, we have a set of indicators we've been using to look uh, across the states at the 50 state um, pension systems that teachers are in. For a number of years, and this is the first time we developed and looked at a set of indicators around transparency. What are um, the systems sharing with the public and policymakers and taxpayers, and what are they specifically sharing with teachers so that they really understand their future retirement benefits? And uh, there's a lot of fog. (laughs) There is a lot of fog.
1: You basically want new teachers to get some notice regularly that says something like, have you considered taking a second job on the weekend uh, because you're not going to have any retirement savings to speak of after 30 years?
3: Well, and one thing is right you you want new teachers to know um, you're you're hearing everywhere that pension reform is about taking your pension away, and that mm-hmm. if you had were in a, a defined contribution system like a 401k, okay, yeah. wouldn't that be horrible? But what you're not being told is the likelihood that you're never going to collect that pension because you're going to leave that system, yeah. or that your dollars are actually subsidizing other people's pensions, which is it's, not how it's supposed so to work. So you
1: want a letter mm-hmm. to teachers saying you are are contributing to a gigantic Ponzi scheme. <laughs> Yeah. And you should know that, and you're going to get completely screwed over.
3: And there are a very small number of states that share bits of that information <laughs> I know, right? with teachers. Do you need to use the term Ponzi?
2: No one uses the term
3: Ponzi scheme. <laughs> the no. New
2: York Times uses the term Ponzi scheme yes. about vengeance.
1: That was a victory. That mm-hmm. was a real victory. No, it, it, Look, it's a big problem because we do know that because there are these huge shortfalls in most state plans, uh, that they, they are depending on young teachers making contributions having their districts make contributions, right? And then have those teachers leave and not get to take much of that money with them. That's right. the only way that the system right. stays mm-hmm. solvent.
3: T- ten-year vesting, right? Yeah. If, if I say you are not vested in the system for 10 years, that is because I'm counting on yeah. even more of you leaving so I won't have to pay yeah. than if I had three-year vesting That's or right. five-year vesting. That's right. Now,
1: mm-hmm. our study uh, looked at mm-hmm. the question about how long do you have to wait as a new teacher? This is for new teachers uh, until you're uh, going to get a benefit, meaning you're, you you know you're going to get more at the end than you than you put in. Uh, and the answer, Alyssa, a really long time, <laughs> a really uh-huh. crazy long time. In some cases, never,
2: never. Yes, we had three districts where Anoka Hennepin and Chicago and Boston where. Once you got into the system, even if you stayed for 30 plus years, you would never see a benefit yeah. to your contribution. And right. I think the median ended up, and I'm going to forget it, but it's about 27 years yeah. before you see an actual benefit to yeah. your defined contribution be- plan. Before what yeah. you would
3: get out would yes. be more than, more than, what, than what you, you put in. in. Yes.
1: And, and the reason, of course, is because, again, how they have tried to solve, plug these holes is they've decided, they all got together and said, well... I know we could screw over new teachers because nobody uh, represents them. Uh, You know, the teachers that are coming through the ed schools right now, well, they're not, uh, you know, we'll we'll just say for those new teachers, they're going to have to pay a whole lot in terms of contributions and we're going to reduce their benefits downstream. So, you know, look, as a result, you still have some baby boomer teachers, frankly, Mm -hmm. that have pretty nice pension plans, but the millennials, not so much.
3: Right. And and I think we are not thinking enough about um, compensation as the whole package and that, yes, the the teacher who stays for 30 years in a defined benefit system is going to have a very comfortable retirement and, and, you know, well-deserved and well-earned and probably earned less. In salary in exchange for that but when we have so many teachers who aren't going to get that benefit and their salary was depressed throughout their career because of it mm-hmm. it's just a bad equation
1: mm-hmm. so the obvious solution it has seemed for quite a long time is to at least give new teachers the option of getting a 401k style plan instead the Problem is that that could make the traditional pension systems, uh, you know, even in worse shape. Uh, so, what what's your take on this? Anna?
3: Yeah, so that's a little bit of a uh, red herring, right? So, on the one hand, yes, if we stop plugging the hole with yeah. money from the new teachers, the the problem of the old system gets worse. But the problem of the old system is worse. And so we we have to, you you can't magically make the debt go away. If yep. you have liabilities that you owe, you're going to have to pay them, mm-hmm. whether it's through new teachers coming into your system or who you still are going to have liabilities on those teachers. Mm-hmm. So the idea that these things are connected, that we can't change because mm-hmm. of the cost to the existing system, well, you already incurred that debt. Yeah. You, you have to figure out a strategy to pay All it right.
1: down. Me- meaning, let's rip off the Band-Aid here. Right. Protect the teachers, the new teachers, right. with the 401k because nobody can take that away from them. And then, you're right, you're going to have to deal with this debt by raising taxes or charging districts more or something.
3: Or something mm-hmm. to pay it down over yeah. time. And you can pay it down over time, yeah, but you have to have a plan to Pay it down. one of the things I think is super interesting in the states that have started to offer choice, mm-hmm. young teachers are increasingly electing the the 401ks, right. So so the people who speak for teachers on these issues say no one ever wants uh, mm-hmm. a defined mm-hmm. contribution plan. they only want the DB plan. Yep. Um, but in states like in Florida and South Carolina where it's not the default option, right? You have to yep. actively yep. pick it and we know most 23 year olds aren't thinking much about their retirement mm-hmm. plan. You know, in Florida, 25 percent of teachers are picking the D.C. Mm -hmm. plan.
2: One of the things that gets tossed around a lot when we're talking about the issue of pensions, is, you know, it's a huge perk for teachers. And we continue to essentially like screw over younger teachers. We're going to impact the quality of the workforce because they're going to look at it or they're going to get two or three years into a teaching career and realize that they don't have kind of a sustainable
3: path or retirement. Have we seen that sort of bear out? So I think what we see is that with young teachers, it just isn't a factor in their okay. decision-making at all, right? The idea that it's a retention strategy. I've had pension system mm-hmm. People tell me that 10-year vesting is a retention strategy, mm-hmm. right? That's just really hard to believe. There's no data that shows that that is a factor in anyone's decision-making. And we know people walk away from their retirement savings all the time, right? Do things that aren't in the best interest of their retirement mm-hmm. savings when they're focused on their immediate needs. Mm-hmm. And whether it's because they have a, a family... Mm-hmm need to move across the country, um, and they're walking away from, from their investment in their pension system, or whether it's just because they don't want to be a teacher anymore, mm-hmm. and that means that, that they're not uh, going to have what was saved on their behalf. I mean, in, in a defined contribution system, sure, there are risks, you know, uh, you're, at, you're at the mercy of the market in a way you aren't in a defined benefit system. Um, But the risk in the defined benefit system is that you're not going to be able to take it with you. That's right. And Mm
1: -hmm. and again, that if you're a new teacher, that the, the way that the benefits are now structured it's not such a great
3: it's perk. Not it's you're not per perk getting less and less. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: All right. Hey, you know what? I take it back. I, I thought it was actually an interesting <laughs> conversation about fun. pensions. We
2: converted you. I, Fascinating. Yes,
1: absolutely. I love it. I love it. All right, Sandy Jacobs, a principal, but not that kind of principal <laughs> at Education Council. Thank you for coming on the show. I hope you will come back. I
3: absolutely will.
1: Thanks. All right. That's all the time we've got for Ed Reform Update. Now it's time for everyone's favorite Amber's Research Minute. David Griffith, welcome back to the show.
0: Hey, thanks so much for having me, Mike.
1: David, standing in for Amber yet again, do we need to change the segment's <laughs> name to the you know Amber and or David Research Minute?
0: Uh, you know, behind every great uh, research vice president, there's uh, <laughs> whatever I am right. Research and Policy are, are you, says. I hope
2: you know you're, what you're like, your title are, is. Are you saying
1: you're, you're kind of like Amber's Mike Pence? Shh. <laughs>
0: <laughs> moving on, moving on. Should I talk about the study?
2: <laughs> so, we were discussing A Rod and J Lo earlier. Uh-huh. If you'd like to discuss that instead, uh, Mike, listen, doesn't want me ever talking
1: politics,
0: <laughs> hey,
2: which is uh, understandable in this day I, and age. I mean, also your pop culture tidbits, but uh, yes. Okay, David, what you got for us?
0: All right, so today I have The Hidden Costs of California's Harsh School Discipline uh, by Russell Rumberger and Daniel Lozen. And basically, I'm not going to like this one, am I? You're not going to like this one, no. Uh, I actually don't particularly like this one either. So here we go. <laughs> Essentially, the authors uh, used administrative data from California to try to estimate the impact of suspensions on high school graduation rates, and then they sort of extrapolated from that to estimate in there, as they see it, the broader social costs of suspensions. And so obviously, you, know, there's, uh, you, you can't just take a totally naive approach. So in California, for example, 83% of students who uh, are not suspended graduate from high school, 60% of students who are suspended graduate. So that's a big difference. But of course, there's other factors that explain that besides suspensions. Right. Um, so the authors uh, essentially take a pretty straightforward you know, regression approach. They throw several of these factors in there. and then Yay,
2: Discontinuity regressions? No, my no, favorite. No,
0: no, it's not one of those. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, and and you know, so they throw in factors that might explain this other than suspensions, such mm. as GPA, low socioeconomic status, and they arrive at an estimate. They say that being suspended reduces a student's odds of graduating from high school by 6.5 percentage points. Now, the problem with that is that... The same thing that's essentially the problem with all discipline studies, more or less, or almost all of them, um, which is that it's vulnerable to omitted variable bias. So it's fine to throw in, mm-hmm. uh, to control for factors that you think will help you get at the real effect. But if that's the only thing you do and you don't control for all of those factors, mm-hmm. um, then your estimates will still be biased. So in this case, to, to stop uh, rolling your eyes uh, at me, Alyssa. This just
2: wasn't to, an ch- it wasn't an <laughs> eye roll. It was a, what does this word mean? I, it was luck.
0: Just, just to make the obvious point, I'll try to make it concrete. All right. If a student who is likely to be suspended, right, is also likely not to graduate from high school. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if that is true, even after you control for some of these other factors, mm-hmm. uh, then you're really just going to be measuring bad behavior. They can't control for behavior uh, and nobody can.
1: Right. And the same traits that may get you to act out and be get in trouble and misbehave uh, and thus get suspended may be the same traits that get you to, you know, skip not class do your and homework. not do your homework and not graduate.
0: Yeah. And you can soak up a lot of that with these control variables, but there's always going to be the concern that you can't soak up all of it. They don't and you have can't. all the data
1: that you might want, that there may be some factors that perhaps we know are related to these things that they can't measure.
0: Yes. And, and so they go on to sort of use this difference in graduation rates to arrive at what I consider to be pretty implausible estimates of the cost of suspension. I'm not going to repeat them because I don't know. Yeah. yeah, I, I frankly don't want to give them any more credence than they deserve. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I mean, the the fundamental problem here is that is that, you know, we don't really have we can probably say with certainty that a kid who is suspended, that student does not benefit from the experience, probably. But it's very difficult to quantify that. Yeah. And as you've pointed out many times, Mike, that does not get at the issue of the broader school culture or what the impact is on peers. So it's not good research. Bottom line.
1: All right. So and wow. so let's unpack the, So I mean, really a couple of things. I mean, first of all, you're saying we're not even sure their estimate is right about the increased likelihood of not graduating from high school because of getting suspended.
0: I, so I right. would bet and, my right arm that yeah. you know that it does not make kids more likely to graduate, but it is almost impossible to quantify. Yeah. And it's almost certainly smaller than yeah. what they're estimating. Smaller than six. And then
1: yeah. and then you don't like the the numbers they come up with in terms of the cost. And then the big issue, which I would say is the other side of the ledger. which is if suspending, at least in some cases, makes the classroom more orderly, leads to greater learning from the other kids, from the peers, maybe increases the graduation rates of the other students, they don't try to account for that
0: at all. No, they don't. All right, so I promised that I ate my Wheaties this morning, so let me push back. All right, so what you say is absolutely correct. However, there is not a ton of research to support what you just said either, right? right? I mean, we don't have studies showing that these benefits. We have studies showing that disruptive students impose a cost, right? Yes, but it's very right. hard that's to, we, we have the same problem. Right. I mean, right. essentially that it's, it's, it's very difficult to isolate the impact of the plus or minus of suspensions on peers too.
1: Right, 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 right. No, that's right. But, but you would want, again, to think about a ledger. You'd want it on either side. You'd I, want to say, right, if the choice was, you know, suspend this kid or keep them in the classroom. Yes. And either way, there are going to be costs yes. associated with that. You'd want to try to get at both types of costs. Really? And as is the case with almost all of these uh, advocacy studies, they don't. The only focus is on the disruptive kids, the kids who are being suspended or not being suspended. And zero attention to the vast majority of kids who are behaving uh, and who, as you say, we do know, suffer real costs if, they, if their learning is disrupted.
2: Can I add a third thing that we might want to consider as we consider the disrupted kids and the disruptor kids, which is the school culture? Like, is there a consistent and empowering system for the kids? And I feel like, in my experience, you can have a high suspension rate that maybe has a positive impact on school culture. Or you can have a high suspension rate that has a negative impact on school culture. And piecing out the differences, I think, is also important. And I just... I feel like there are veins forming in your forehead.
0: Yeah, I mean, well, so I mean, the, there's a couple things that just bother me about this discussion. One is that it's so binary. I mean, we can debate the issue, you know, the pros and cons of suspensions, but really, we we ought to be pairing it to some other alternatives, right? Right, and and right. my and as you know, Mike, my big thing is okay, if the kids have are imposing costs, which I believe absolutely, is there something else we can do? Can we do in-school suspension? Yeah. Right. You know, can do we have to send them to the kids? streets of detroit you will not get any pushback from me that there are sometimes sometimes circumstances when kids need to be removed from the classroom i i agree Mm. um and then i guess i mean i don't know i I think the other point i would make is just it's very clear when you listen to this discussion it just seems like people have different assumptions about the way the world works yes (laughs) uh you know and it's hard to get past that
1: uh because but to be clear david my assumptions are correct
0: uh, yes, right. I was getting to that, Mike. <laughs> that's
1: right. Yeah, yeah. As long as we're in agreement about that. <laughs> you know this? No, totally fair. And I, and I am wondering sometimes on these data, like if it is in-school suspensions, do those show up as suspensions or not? Generally speaking,
0: not, I think. And I mean, the other thing I noticed when I was a teacher, I mean, I, we're just getting layers and layers of uncertainty here, but like, you know, I teachers would kick kids out of class and yeah. they never got re- reported, right? Yeah. So I'm convinced that a ton of the activity that's going on with this is just happening below the level of the data. Yeah, yeah, and it's yeah. almost impossible for us to really understand it. Yeah.
2: And there, you know, teaching is so nuanced and sometimes like you actually like might have situations where like as a teacher, you weigh the very real, like if I report him, if he goes home, like the home situation isn't great. So maybe I make allowances there And you have, yeah. I had a certain fifth grader who's in my classroom basically every day for a month during math period. He definitely did not go to math for three out of those four weeks.
3: Right. But was that was not suspended. a suspension. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It
2: was a, uh, go sit in Mishwank's classroom and straighten up.
0: Right. Okay. So to close on a an, an, an note that Mike will appreciate, uh, I think that the, I, I, I believe that the authors and, and of this study and, and other studies like it are essentially undermining their own case mm-hmm. by inflating, I think, the costs, the yep. real costs, yep. uh, whatever they are, um, and sort of not presenting a balanced view of the issue.
1: Yep. But they tricked some reporters to report on this and not ask these questions. So I guess they had the last laugh. <sighs>
0: Not if we Definitely left now. Easy.
1: All right. Very <laughs> good. All right. That's all the time we've got because we all need to go do some therapy about our <laughs> teaching experiences and, and uh, you know, how we feel about all of that. Uh, so until next week, I'm Alyssa Schwenk. And I'm Mike Petrilli of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, signing off.
0: The Education Gadfly Show is a production of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute located in Washington, D.C. For more
3: information, visit us online at edexcellence.net.